Buffs Nation. What's going on? Welcome into the Buffs Nation podcast. We are here. It's finally bowl season. It seems like we got here a little too fast, but that's okay. I'm Tyler Walgie. You're a host. Right next to me, as always, Jared All. Jared, what's going on? Let's get you unmuted there. I was like, wait a second. I know know, sometimes I can be a little loud, but you can turn the mic up just a little bit there, Tyler. Uh, Yeah, you're right. This did kind of sneak up, but I'm not going to lie. I kind of like not having a month off before the bowl game. It's just like, I mean, granted, CU's going to end up with two weeks off leading into it, but it's kind of nice. Just dive right into these bowls. I don't don't think that would be a problem with doing that in the future. CU taking on Texas December 29th, 7 o'clock, ESPN in the Alamo Bowl. Now, on today's show, we will break that game down. It's going to be, uh, obviously, uh, the, you know, the majority of today's show, but we'll talk about last week, what's happened during this whole Pac-12 championship fiasco. Of course, CU being left out. I don't think any Buffs fan was too happy with the way that was handled. And, uh, yeah, we'll definitely preview what it's going to take for the Buffs to upset Texas in the Alamo Bowl. And I say upset because they're, what are they, 10, 11, 12-point underdogs? Yeah, I've seen anywhere from 10 to 12 and a half. Right now I'm seeing at 11 and a half on most places. It's a big underdog. That is. Yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. I'm getting excited already. (laughs) Uh, As you could tell, the muting Jared's mic, I have slid over to the producer seat. Ryan Smith out today. And uh, it's just you and I, Jared. Just the two of us. Yeah, and, and as we record we here... We can uh, make it if we try. We're hoping everything's okay. <laughs> um, Ryan yeah, didn't we... show up for work today. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the air is dirty laundry. Look, we don't really know what's going on. I'm sure he's fine. I'm yeah, sure we're, it's, we're, it's, there's a lot going on the holiday season. Maybe he's doing some shopping. You know some what? Last minute shopping. Hey, I know that feeling. I, I was at the mall a couple weeks back. It took me 30 minutes just to get through the line at the mall. Yeah, but you don't know what you're doing at the mall. No, you seem right. like the least equipped person to make a quick roll, uh, mall trip. Well, the problem, what it was, is I was not not the problem. I think it's a good thing. Something we brought up on the show a couple weeks back. I was I was shopping at the uh, the local artisans vendor market, you know, mm-hmm. and the problem is they don't have barcodes. Everything has to be manually keyed in. So when you got 50 people in line with 10 items in their their basket, <laughs> it it takes a minute to get through that line. So uh, sometimes and you, hey, you get caught up. And you also just got a COVID test. Yes, I did. You went to Mexico. That's why you were out last week. You want to let the audience know what it's like to get a COVID test? You know, it's... uh, Because based on the diagrams, it looks very invasive. Yeah, it's not as bad as everyone makes it out to be. Okay? I mean, it's not comfortable. It's certainly not comfortable, but I Mm. actually got to... was. I guess lucky enough. Nowadays, they're just offering these rapid tests to anyone who's willing to pay for it. Is and, that how it works uh, these days? Yeah, it cost me fifty bucks on top of my insurance, and and uh, it wasn't bad. They just jam a Q-tip halfway up your nose, and <laughs> you know, it's just like you dug too deep, Tyler. It yeah. happens to the best of us, you know. No, but in, in all reality, it was not a bad experience, and I, I'm glad. I know. Right now, it's not the greatest time to travel, but I will say uh, kudos to the airlines, airports. I think they did a fantastic job. Everything that I saw and experienced, I mean, uh, coming back from Mexico, we saw a, a crew of people that would go up and down the airport with the, like the, uh, like I'm the Ghostbusters, you know, and I'm spraying all this. Yeah. Up and down. That's pretty good. Back and forth. That's all they did. So, you know, I felt really good about how everything was handled at the resort and everything. I just had to get away, man. I I don't think I'm the only one here. I couldn't take it anymore. I mean, all this stuff going on. I had to get away from the world. It was nice. I feel refreshed coming back. And now I'm ready for some football. Of course, got robbed of that a little bit last weekend, though. Yeah. First of all, I don't blame you for any of that. You know, it's... uh, But look, football's back. 
and uh, well, football should have been back last week, like you said. See you getting left out of everything. Um, no one who I talked to, no one who I read, you know, tweets on Twitter, articles, was happy with the way things were handled last week. And what we're talking about, in case you for some reason missed it, uh, CU was supposed to play Oregon in the LA Coliseum. Now, the reason Colorado and Oregon were playing in the LA Coliseum was a backup plan. Because if for some reason Washington, who had won the North, representatives of the North, and USC, the winners of the South, if either of those two schools couldn't play, well, Oregon and Colorado were the fail-safe. We were there just to make sure everything went well for the Pac-12. Sure enough, Washington ends up removing themselves because of too many COVID tests and, and contact trace and things like that. So Oregon slides in, leaving your buffs without an opponent. No one cared. No one worried. The only people I saw who who actually cared at all were the, were those in Boulder. You know, Larry Scott, the Pac-12 committee. It was never about CU. It was about the Pac-12. And and my 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 complaint with that isn't necessarily that the Pac-12 has to mold everything they do around Colorado, but to be treated the way we were last weekend as a second-class school. You know, I love the Denver Post article that said, "Yeah, Colorado's the redheaded stepchildren of the Pac-12." That's what it felt like. That's exactly it? what it felt like. I didn't like it at all. And and I, I I agree with you. It's like when you take a look at it from the outside looking in, it's like, well, what's the Pac-12 supposed to do? Completely rework this whole schedule around? But I, I think the idea that they basically told Colorado you can't schedule another game just in case, right. just in case you never know. I know CSU is off that weekend. There's a couple other. It's almost local like schools. it's almost like a, if you tell someone if, if, if you tell a, a nice lady out there if you're single like let's say we're single neither you or I are but if we were single and we tell someone that we want to you know yeah let's have a date right maybe you meet someone on tinder like all the kids are doing these days what's and, that like right <laughs> oh god <laughs> let's not even get down that path but you get your little tinder date and you set a date for Saturday night but then someone else comes along and maybe you want to date them I too I like where this is and going and so you tell them you know what yeah, I'm open Saturday. And you end up texting the first date you had and said, can we maybe slide it back? You were my reserve plan. That's not good to treat any person like that. Not You're going to be plan B. If <laughs> she doesn't work out, we really exactly, like right? you. Yeah. Then we want to talk. But that's how it <laughs> felt. And that's exactly what it was, right? That's what Larry Scott did to, to the CU buffs. And you should never treat any person like that or any university like that. So the fact that Look, when this when this show started in the 2020 year, we didn't even know there'd be football played. I have been a component from show one this season. I don't want to see you in the Pac-12 anymore. And it was long before any of this nonsense, long before Larry Scott or any of this happened. I don't like the Pac-12. I don't think they care enough about football. They certainly don't care enough about certain schools in the conference. Everything together, I want to see CU back in the Big 12 where real football is played and where good decisions are made. I can't even sit here and tell you that, well, at least, you know, you, you would think if they're not caring about the football, the players, anything like that, well, it's about the money. But the Pac-12 isn't even making any money compared right. to the rest of these other right. conferences. Right. I mean, they just drop the ball over and over again. And what it feels like to me as, as a CU fan is it feels like CU has been punished through the course of this year for properly handling and navigating through this COVID situation. Teams like USC, Washington that had COVID issues early in the season, make it to the Pac-12 championship game, and CU with no issues all season long was sort of required to be the backup because, yeah, these guys have had issues in the past. They're probably going to have issues again. You guys need to be ready because right. it's probably going to happen. We were just a fail And, and if again, I'm not mistaken, USC has now pulled out of bowl season because of 
COVID issues. Yeah. Did they officially pull out? You know, honestly, I'm not 100%. Well, I, who cares? I, yeah, but. exactly. That's kind of yeah, <laughs> not paying attention anymore. But I couldn't agree more. And if there's ever a way for CU to get out of the Pac-12, I have to think that they would strongly consider realigning and that's just it's a tough thing it it takes you know takes two to tango but it also takes several teams being willing to move wanting to move we saw that in the big 12 uh, you know a dozen years ago when when everybody wanted out and all of a sudden it kind of forced their hand to allow them to do that i love the big 12 i never thought i'd feel like this though when we when, when cu came to the pac-12 I was excited. Yeah, I thought about the recruiting on the West Coast, yeah. what it could do for the basketball program. Yeah, how spending all that money. Yeah, I mean, it, it, that that's why they did it. Was It, it was first a financial decision. And but. yet I still have to dive down a deep rabbit hole to find a game on a Pac-12 know, network because most freaking cable companies don't carry it. <laughs> so Oregon went on to beat USC. So after all that, the Ducks win. <laughs> I know, and I didn't get a chance to watch that game, Tyler, but uh, it, I mean... What what happened? <laughs> it was it was hysterical. I mean, actually, Oregon got Oregon off to a was much, up big, right? Yeah, they got off to a big lead, and then USC ended up trying to come back at the end. But the Pac-12 just is not great this year. I mean, legitimately, this isn't just CU fandom. Colorado may be the best team in the Pac-12 this year. Like we didn't get a chance to to play either we Oregon don't know. or USC. We don't know, right? But but we they could be the best team. You know, I mean, with everything going on, I thought USC would have beaten Oregon for sure. And that didn't happen. So anyway, Oregon wins the Pac-12 championship. Won't mean a whole lot. And CU was ready to go. And I will give Carl Durrell and that and that staff credit because CU has been prepared throughout this whole thing from the start of COVID to right now. As a matter of fact, the Buffs had a had one of their equipment trucks halfway to LA. Did you see this? No, I yeah, didn't. They had an equipment truck loaded up, ready to go for game day, and they went and drove it about halfway to LA. So if it was game on, they're pretty much going to beat the whole team there. No equipment issues, things like that. So CU was ready to go once again. And they're just like the responsible one. You know, it's like a whole dysfunctional family and you got CU sitting there. It's, and of it's course, like back in college, you know, whenever you lived with a bunch of bachelors, <laughs> there was always that one guy in the house that had to kind of nag everyone. Yeah. Hey guys, let's clean up. Let's make sure, you know, we, we got to get our deposit back on this lease here. So, you know, that's been the bus. I say that like a negative thing, but that's a good thing when it comes to a situation like this, when you got all these yahoos jerking around, not keeping their team safe. <laughs> and, and it's, it's come back to bite the buffs and it, it just kills me i'm i'm so frustrated with it and and you know what like you said kudos to carl Durrell, kudos to this coaching staff how they handled it these players everybody played their part and did what they had to do and now they get an opportunity and i think it it does really work out well for the buffs even though they kind of got screwed through the pac-12 the way everything has filtered down with teams opting out things like that they get a big time bowl matchup against a big time notable national team in texas and i'm excited about that all right we will eventually get to that and we will move on from this topic before we do though like i said i'm in the producer chair today i've got access to the sounds i got one thing to say to uh, usc oh no we suck again <laughs> Was that just such a Clay Helton-led team to just yeah. go go blow hey, look, it just look, like that? I want him to keep Clay. Stay there. Don't do anything. Do you keep think Clay they, made, they, exactly they made it, I think, a one-score game by the end of it. I think he, yeah, it was 31-24. Yeah, they hang on to him. I don't think he's going anywhere. All right, moving on. Um, before we get to some yearly announcements for the buffs, some awards, things like that, let's get to this day in Colorado football history. And even though we're recording on the 22nd, we're going to look to Christmas. Christmas Day always 
uh, favorite holiday, favorite time of the year. And we're going to go back to December 25th, 1924. Way back. Yeah, the Silver and Gold, the Buffs, formerly known as the Silver and Gold, played their first postseason game in school history. They defeated the Hawaii Navy All-Stars in Honolulu 43-0. to So I'm assuming that was a team with pretty self-explanatory Hawaii players and then uh, Navy, Navy players kind of making an All-Star team. And CU went to Honolulu I, and beat them 43 nothing. I kind of like that idea. Maybe we make some all-star games in the postseason. You know what would be here. fun? Like a Coastal Carolina and Cincinnati all-star team taking on a Power 5. Is that what we do to like expand the playoff? Five. Is instead of just bringing on one of the, the lesser conferences, you just bring on the all-star team from the lower tier conferences? That's what, I mean, look, if some of these schools don't start getting more recognition, that's what they're going to have to do. And I've always said this. As a Colorado fan and, and, and a, long, uh, a lifelong Buffs fan, we are on the edge. You know, if CU, in a normal year, if CU goes undefeated, they're probably getting in, which is a good thing. And it makes me feel good to be a power, part of a Power 5 conference and we get those privileges. But it's just bizarre That's, that half of the, the teams in the sport don't even have a shot even if they go undefeated. Do you see a day in the near future where the Pac-12 is not viewed that way? I mean, things change. Yeah, I, I think that's. I, just, be the case. I think I think really in the last four or five years, particularly, we've seen a trend where the Pac-12 is falling behind the rest yeah, of the they Power are. Five, and the AAC is consistently throwing out teams that are performing at the top. Now, do I think that those two conferences are on the same level? No, I think if you put you know level of competition equal, you're going to see the Pac-12 as a superior conference to the AAC. But it is a much smaller gap than what it was even a few years ago. Oh, Jared. All right, should we get I know, on to it might some... be too depressing right now. No, I'm sorry. No, it's, it's okay. It's Look, that's it's that's hard. what happens. That's what the Pac-12 is. That's what it's become. Um, and I do slightly disagree with that because I think things change quicker than than we believe they do when you look back, but they don't move fast enough when you're in the middle of it because right now it's 2020. What am I focused on for as a Buffs fan? beating Texas, and then having a good season next year. I don't care what the next decade looks like for the Pac-12. We may not be in the Pac-12 in a decade, but right now, you know, I think that things will change. The question is, how quick does that happen? Uh, Carl Durrell, let's talk Carl. We talked about what a good job he's done this year. I think everyone who's listened to this podcast understands how happy I am with Carl Durrell, how satisfied Jared is with the new head coach, and he, rightfully so, won the Pac-12 Coach of the Year. Congratulations to uh, to Coach, and I think he earned it, man. I think he absolutely earned it. Um, a little gallery, a little yeah. gallery applause there. He deserved it, man. He is for sure the leading candidate for the award this year. I'm glad he won it. Yeah, to me, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, there's really no coach within the Pac-12 that you could even argue uh, belongs in that category. And I, I'm like trying to run the list through my head. And honestly, there's a lot of disappointing coaches in the Pac-12, a lot of guys yes. that are now moving towards the hot seat, if not already gone, and a guy like Kevin Sumlin already out the door. So Carl Durrell is one of the few bright spots as far as coaching the Pac-12. And, and I just want to take a step back, man. Think back to February, what was it, 25th, 27th, whatever it was, and a lot of uncertainty. I think even those of us that now are very much on board with Carl Durrell, it was kind of a, eh, all right, let's let's see what this guy brings, you know? I mean, I, I barely heard about him before we hired we had, him. I had to dive into him, and it was, oh, okay, yeah. he's got some ties back to Colorado, but, man, he's been in the NFL for a long time. It, he's got one head coaching stint, and he was, he was okay. He was solid, but I, I just think 
you it takes some time to dive in and get a feel for him understand his presence what he brings and i mean you could just feel it something's building here when you when you talk to some of these players especially some of these seniors when you hear them talk about you know they're going to have an extra year of eligibility next year and and for some of those guys i think in their head a guy like Akil Jones or Nate Landman some of these other guys i think they probably assumed hey i'm going to go give a shot at the nfl well now they see what's building here in in Boulder and what Carl Durrell has brought from his presence and and I just think I'm exactly what you said. I'm so excited about what's coming next year and what he's building and what this team can look like in a full season against open competition, not just the Pac-12. It's hard to gauge where Colorado is, not having seen them play anyone outside the Pac-12. Yeah, next year is going to be like a new year. It's going to be like a brand new season. Well, I think they got AM next year. Well, it is a new season, but I mean, it's going to feel like <laughs> the first season in a decade. I don't know. It's going to feel weird. It, it is. I, I think for everyone, they're going to feel that, but I think for Colorado, really getting a chance for the first time to see what Carl Durrell brings start to finish, what training camp, what spring ball looks like under Carl Durrell, and I think you're just going to, I know for me, I expect nothing less than to gain a whole lot more respect for him and appreciation for what he's bringing to this team. Now, the other part of college football coaching is recruiting now stay tuned next week week after as we wrap the season up we're going to do a lot of uh, talking about who colorado got in the recruiting class what carl durrell did in his first year recruiting with the cu buffs so we'll talk about that next week uh stay tuned a lot of content coming up these next few weeks but carl durrell pac-12 coach of the year and uh jared broussard offensive player of the year no no question i mean he has to be the guy the guy's on pace for like a thousand yards yeah, it's it's crazy. You look at some of these numbers. It's I don't know if I could do this well on a video game. I mean, this is Tyler. Out, I've this seen is out, you play video games. <laughs> this is no, out, you could. This not. is outpacing me. What I could do? Not unless you're playing me on like the rookie <laughs> level, right? <laughs> Broussard led the Pac-12 in rushing during the regular season, averaging 162 and a half yards per game with uh, 175 and a half all-purpose yards with uh, that being a league best. He's only the fourth player to gain 100 or more yards in his first four career games in NCAA Division I football uh, since 1996. He's the first buff running back to earn first-team all-conference honors since uh, Brown did in 2002. Chris Brown. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Chris Brown wow, that's him. a what? God, that's a long time, and we've yeah, seen a lot oh. of good running backs come through here. But look, it means something to be first-team all-conference. That is... A huge award, and he earned it. And he's and just also, a sophomore. Yeah, just a sophomore. He's also one of 14 finalists for the uh, Mayo Clinic Comeback Player of the Year as he's missed the last two seasons after undergoing not one, but two ACL surgeries on the same freaking knee. And they always Woo. say your second year is where you really get back to 100%. So think about that. He could be even better even more explosive next year he has a very bright future and man i'm just excited who who do who yeah, do yeah. we're, we're I mean, going preseason into this we didn't even bring up his name well, if anything it was looked at as a negative we were so concerned with alex fontenot missing the season i mean once fontenot's back i'm assuming he's going to be back you talk about a great backfield. We may be one of the best backfields in the Pac-12, for sure. Yeah, from a skill position standpoint, they're bringing a ton of talent back into next year. So Broussard, Offensive Player of the Year, also, of course, getting first-team All-Pac-12 honors, along with teammate Nate Landman. Now, unfortunately, Landman going to be out for the season with that injury, but Landman did make first-team All-Pac-12. He became the first Buffalo to repeat as a conference first-teamer since CU joined the league in 2011. And he's also the first to do so... Uh, 
Let's see here. The first to do overall since offensive tackle Nate Soldier got to all Big 12 honors in 2009-2010. So uh, quite an accomplishment there. He's the first inside linebacker to repeat in successive years since Matt Russell was an all Big 8 linebacker in 1995, then all Big 12 in 1996. Nate Landman led the team in tackles with 61, 49 of those being solo, and that's the third straight year that he's done that wearing the black and gold. So Nate Landman... Heck of a year, heck of a career. And if I can just take a minute and thank this kid for what he's done. It's been so fun watching him. It's been a treat every Saturday to go out there and feel confident in what he can do. You know, it's it's so important to have a good middle linebacker. And this guy has given his his heart and soul to CU. I hope he gets back in time to, to make a statement at the NFL uh, a combine and things like that. But... I, yeah, I just want to thank Nate Landman. It's, it's been so, so nice watching him through his career. And it's, and, uh, it's so it's tough treat. not to see him get to finish that out against Texas. And, and I know a, it of is. course, and again, we'll dive into this in a moment, but of course, this is a matchup that would just be so perfect for him. <laughs> and, and, and someone that the Buffs are really going to miss this week going against uh, against a, a running quarterback uh, with Texas. But I, I, I can remember back to his freshman year, and, and I just remember uh, that was Mike McIntyre at the time as, as a head coach, and I just remember him talking talking early in the the spring ball and stuff like we have to find a way to get this kid on the field he is so talented and and at the time they had quite a bit of depth at the linebacker inside linebacker position but they forced him on the field and he forced himself onto the field and he has just gotten better and better year after year capping it off with in my opinion by far his strongest showing so far as a college uh, player and i i do think he has a very bright future he just needs to go get rehabbed get healthy be ready for the nfl season next year it's guys like that that make you a fan you know absolutely um, yes. when, when, when we were growing up watching the buffs it, it's it's players like that that keep us coming back that, that that drive home our buffalo fandom that really make this all come to life and it's that's what's unique about college football is you're, you're seeing a young adult blossom into a great nfl player and i'm just so happy he was able to help the buffs a couple years well the every year he was here so thank you nate landman and uh, we're gonna miss you man uh, four additional Buffaloes earned second-team All-Pac-12 honors. That would be Mustafa Johnson, Sam Neuer, uh, Jalen Jackson, and Will Sherman. Don't call him Sherman Williams. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Second-team All-Pac-12. That's, that's Yeah, uh, really filling out the uh, the Pac-12 uh, All-Conference teams no kidding, this year. Man. That's something that you can't really say over the last few years from the bus. It's been you know few and far between, so to really see their presence being felt there, I, I think that at very worst, they may have been treated like a redheaded stepchild, <laughs> but at least they, they took a step Not back here. and recognized what these players had done and their, their, where they ranked within the conference. And six additional buffs were recognized as honorable mentions, uh, offensive tackle Frank Phillip, uh, DN Terrence Lang, uh, safety Isaiah Lewis, guard Casey Roddick, uh, Dimitri Stanley actually is a returner. Um, even though we know how electric he is outside. And uh, outside linebacker Carson Wells. So nice job there for the Buffs. Glad everyone got recognition who uh, ended up on a list here. The AP overall team is going to be released on Christmas. So the AP uh, first team, things like that, released on Christmas Day. But a couple early all teams, you know, there's some outlets who do their own, leaked some early, uh, early kind of early first team, second team, and Nate Landman is on pretty much everyone's first team. Has to be. He yeah. has to be. Yeah, and Carson Wells made uh, a second team. as a, I was just going to say, I'm a little surprised he was only honorable mention. I think he had a real huge year for the Buffs. Uh, Terrence Lang's another one that I, I'm a little surprised he didn't at least make second team. Well, Terrence, so let, let's talk about those two guys real quick. So Carson Wells, 
he was right on the fringe. He had to be fringe. You know, maybe a couple more uh, sacks or whatever, but he just did so much for CU. When you're so versatile, it's tough to... It doesn't show up on the stat sheet exactly, always. Exactly, exactly. And Terrence Lang, same kind of an issue. He impacted so many plays where he didn't actually make the tackle. So what he, a lot of what Terrence Lang does and does so well doesn't show up on the stat sheet. Yeah, that's what frees up guys like Nate Landman and Carson Wells to make plays. Exactly, so... All right, Jared, before we break down the Alamo Bowl, this is, of course, a Woos Media podcast, but Woos Media does much more than just podcasting. They are one of the leaders in online marketing today, and that's whether you want to show up on apps, social media, websites. If you own a business, know anyone who owns a business, and they simply want to start showing up in front of the right people for a great price, check out Woos Media. Online, woosmedia.com. That's W-O-O-Z-E, media.com. All right, Colorado taking on the Texas Longhorns Alamo Bowl, December 29th, 7 o'clock ESPN. Jared, let's break this thing down. But actually, first, Ryan just called. We uh, Yeah, I think we need to touch on this. So <laughs> just I know everyone out there is, is worried sick about Ryan, as we were, yeah. uh, but it's okay. Uh, you know, a simple issue of an alarm not getting set, and uh, you We're know, good. here here we are. It happens to the best of us. I hope we don't seem insensitive. For, I, uh... <laughs> I, I know, I know. I felt bad because I just threw that out there at the beginning of the show. So I was really glad to hear the, to see him call through. And uh, uh, you know, Ryan, don't worry about it, buddy. We got you, yeah, man. It's all good. It's I all love good. to see see Tyler back behind all the you know doing all the production the old stuff. And yeah. I mean, he's working it today, <laughs> folks. I don't think you guys don't get a chance to see this, but. Yeah, He's working it We're back doing back. well with all these sounds. I can. I, I have a lot more control than I usually do. But anyway, Ryan's good. Good to go. Producer will be back uh, whenever we do our next show. So we'll actually talk about that to wrap the show up. But yeah, so anyway. Um, can we finally get on to Texas? Yes, You've been teasing this over yes, and over again. I'm yes, just dying yes, here. Yes, we can. And again, you want to hear a joke, Jared? No, I want to talk about Texas. <laughs> I want to use one more sound Especially effect. if it gets into Herman and Berman, I'm it's, just uh, going to lose it. No, what is it? Uh, how's that one joke go? You want to hear a joke? Tom Herman is a head football coach. Oh, whoops. Tom Herman is a head football coach. Hey! It's, a, it's okay, guys. <laughs> I, I, I apologize. I just tried to give him all this credit, and then look look what he goes You get me going. You yeah. start peppering those uh, compliments know, in. I know. All right. but, but seriously, though, yes. can we CU, start with Tom Herman? CU Texas. Texas is right now about a 10-11 point favorite. And if you want to start with Tom Herman, that's Texas fine. Texas is the favorite. I think you said USC is the favorite. Oh, my bad. Yeah, Texas is the favorite. Uh, about 10-11 points. And sure, we can start with Tom Herman. Tom Herman. Uh, was on the hot seat for a lot of this year. You he know who is... Tom Herman reminds me of? Who? Clay Helton. Oh, that's I get a lot comparison. of Clay Helton vibes from him. He's the Clay Helton like, of the Pac-12. Man, or you, the you, Big 12. all the pieces are there. It should all be coming together, and especially for Texas. Texas recruits, unlike just about anyone in the country, yet year after year, they, they just cannot put it together. And, you know, initially, when I first saw that the Buffs were going to end up playing against Texas – it's like, ooh, man, there's a lot of talent on that team. A lot of four-star, a lot of five-star guys. And then you start looking, and it's like, man, but God, they just have not – they haven't beaten anybody. They, they Well, re- I mean, it's not that. So let's go through Texas this season, okay? Texas is 6-3, and three, and when you say they haven't beaten anybody – they right. beat. They had one good win. They beat Oklahoma State on the road, and Oklahoma State has since lost a couple. So, but let's just look at some of these big victories. You know, one of the things that really stood out to me is is Texas is uh, averaging something like forty three points a game or something like that, and it's like, wow, that's that's really going to be tough. Well, let's just break down. Let's look at some of these. I'm only going to pick a 
pick apart of two or three games here throughout the course of the season. Started out, opened the season against UTEP. Their only non-conference game, 59-3. to The Longhorns won okay. that one. Next week, against Texas Tech, who we all know how good Texas Tech's defense is. <laughs> 63 points. That Texas puts up overtime victory against Texas, or excuse me, Texas against Texas Tech overtime victory, and then you have a couple of low weeks, you know, not getting a ton of points, and then all of a sudden you get to the very end of the year, Kansas State, another team in the in the dumper of the Big 12, 69 points for Texas. You got some skewed numbers there. They're beating up on bad teams, okay, which, okay. I agree with the assessment that maybe they are... Overrated. Yeah, overrated. They're not as good as their stats may suggest, and that's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll give you that, but this team is 6-3, and three, and they could be 9-0. and oh. Let's not forget... 7-3. and three. They're 7-3. and 7-3. and three. They could be 9-0. and oh. I mean, they... Is it 7-3, and three, Jared? If I can count. One, two... You can't count. You want to repeat that? No, I don't. <laughs> Man, you are one pathetic loser. So six and three on the air. And uh, if only I had this thing right in front of me that just said standings. <laughs> yeah. Um, but their three losses were uh, two-point loss against TCU, overtime loss against Oklahoma, and then a three-point loss against Iowa State. These three losses are what the college football playoff committee would call good losses. That's right. And so, yes, you can say on one hand, okay, they've beaten up on teams who aren't that good. They're inflating their stats. That's fine. But on the other hand, they are staying in every game. Oklahoma is right now, they've gotten better throughout the year. I would say Oklahoma is top seven team. Now, maybe they're not ranked top seven. Maybe they have fallen back in the, in the rankings or perception. I promise you, folks, Oklahoma has grown to be one of the better teams in college football this year. And Texas took them to overtime. So the whole idea that Texas is six and three down year, not that good, is 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 I, that's not the way I see it. I see a good Texas team who we're going to be playing this weekend or on the 29th in the Alamo Bowl. I see a team that went into the season with playoff aspirations, with Big 12 championship aspirations, and they came nowhere near that. But you're trying to scare me, Tyler. No, I see what you're trying to I'm do. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to look at this accurately. And here's the thing: is if if Texas was undefeated and maybe lost their last game, then this is a huge letdown. It's like we were supposed to make the playoffs. We had high hopes. We lost end of the year. Then you could see a letdown spot. But Texas started the season 2-2. Two and two. They ended 4-1. and one. They haven't been looking at the playoffs the whole year. They hit the reset button in the middle of the season. Sam Ellinger, their senior quarterback, has led this team well, and they bounce back. You know, So Texas is a good team, and I don't want to sell the buff short. Yes, he used double-digit underdogs. And yes, Texas is good. Now, we're going to get on to the, to, to the rest of this uh, preview, but I, having said all that, I don't think there's any way CU should be afraid of what the Longhorns can do. I mean, Texas is a beatable team, and we'll talk about some of their stats. And, and here I think that's up, really but. what I'm getting at, Tyler, is when you first see that as a, as a CU fan, you're going, ooh, that's a... That's a real tough, scary matchup. And again, not to say that they aren't a good team. They're obviously a very talented team. But this is not a team that's out of the caliber that CU can play. In fact, I actually think this is a very, very equally matched team to what CU is when you look at where CU was this year, what they've done as a, as a program this year, and, and where Texas is. I think they're actually very much on the same level this year. I think it should be more of like a uh, you know three or four point favorite maybe for Texas, not 12 points. I think that's a crazy number to well, see. And that. I think a big reason why that is is nationally the perception of Texas yeah. and Colorado is, is is frankly skewed. 
so Texas, you know, we mentioned Sam Ellinger, senior quarterback. He has done everything for them this year. Now, they throw about as often as they run, and Sam Ellinger does a lot of both. He's thrown the ball 306 times this year, and he leads the team in rushes, 108 rushes for 382 yards, and it's not even close. The next uh, top rusher in terms of actual carries on the year is uh, B. John Robinson with 76 touches. So Yeah, 30 more carries than the next closest guy. And they do have like a running back by committee, so yep. that's part of it. Uh, their running backs as a whole have, you know, so, 330. Yeah, they have quite a but, few But that, that, that's even. As a team, team passes 307, team rushes 330. So they're going to be balanced. And you're right, Jared, when they do give it to a running back, it is running by back, back by committee. Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson are their top two running backs. Their number three back, Keontae Ingram, who started the season the number two back, is injured, won't be playing this Correct. game. But uh, this is a team who uses the running back by committee approach. And the same thing in the passing game. There's not one go-to receiver. Now, all of the or I should say a hefty majority of these passes are going to receivers. So while CU in the past and a little bit this year has struggled covering tight ends, that to me shouldn't be a main focus of this defense because they spread the ball around, but they're, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, uh, eight of the top nine guys catching balls are receivers. So they certainly get it to the outside of the field, and it's because they have a lot of talent at skill positions, both offensively and defensively. But that gives you kind of an idea of Texas as a team, you know, just just some a brief overview of their statistics. But let's do a little bit more of in-depth handicapping here and look at what it's going to look like when CU has the ball and when CU's on defense. Uh, first thing, though, let's look at some injuries here because we know CU's banged up a little bit. To repeat, we can go through some of the bigger injuries right now for Colorado. Uh, of course, Nate Landman out for the season. Uh, uh, Chase Lytle injured. He's going to be out for the year. Uh, Sam Neuer is probable. I don't know why he's listed on here. Uh, Brady gotta, Russell. Got to mess with their head a little bit. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Brady Russell, tight end, out for the season. And uh, I, I thought I had heard there was uh, potential he may have a chance to get back in for this no, bowl game. I'm seeing out oh, right now. Okay. Things may change. You guys stay up to date. Be sure to check Twitter. But right now I'm showing him out for this game. And, then, and that's tough. Uh, you kind of saw the Buffs' offense start to sputter just a little bit after he was out. Yes, the, you did. After the, that, that's a very good point. Roster. CU needs a tight end in this uh, in this kind of an offense. And we'll talk, like I said, next week, next couple weeks about recruiting because CU got a couple nice tight ends. But either way, um, where was I going with this? Oh, injuries. Uh, CU, and then I missed uh, one more person. Oh, Shad Clayton. He's not going to play this week. He's opting out, and uh, there's there's a lot of uh, kind of rumors and suspicion, but nothing that's officially come yeah, out. It's his personal. It's 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 just odd, and let's just let's just call a spade a spade. It's odd for a true freshman to opt out at this point in the year. Uh, that is weird. It, it's it's not a situation that he's been, to my knowledge, nursing injury or having anything COVID related. Um, what that tells me just on the outside looking in that maybe he's not happy with the amount of carries that he's getting. Maybe he sees Jarek Broussard, a sophomore. The guy is clearly going to be the stud moving forward. Let's see. You know, Carl Durrell came out and said he fully expects Ashad Clayton to be a part of this team moving forward. He has no thought in his mind. He's had conversations with him, has had no discussions about him leaving. So I don't want to assume anything. It's just odd. It's a weird situation for a true freshman that was finally starting to get a few carries. But we can kind of out. can't we kind of expect this more in a coach's first year because yeah. there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered. He came in, things were strange last year. He came, he being Carl Durrell 
came to Boulder last second. They were shuffling the deck the whole time. Then COVID hits. So you can maybe expect some of these transfers. Look at uh, Tyler Lytle. You know, 30 minutes after the last time CU played, he announced his transfer on Which Twitter. Which we didn't get a chance really to talk about with yeah, not we having didn't. the game last weekend. We can, we can quickly go over that. And look, I, 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 I feel a specific way when a player abandons the university, but this to me seemed like you know, both sides were okay with it. You know, uh, Tyler Lytle deserves a shot to play. He sees in Colorado he's not going to get a shot to play, especially with Brendan Lewis and, and you know coming up. Yeah, I have no problem with that. I mean, a lot of people... But here, let's actually, before we go on, let's let everyone know what happened for those who missed it. Uh, Last game, uh, where Sam Miller got injured, and then Tyler Lytle came in for... A few plays. Two, few plays. Two for five, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And had, then, had a nice run. And then right as soon as Neuer was healthy to come back in, came back and Tyler Lytle went out. And Tyler Lytle, after the game, announced on Twitter that he was going to enter the transfer portal. So it was it was sudden, it was unexpected, but it was after the game when he did get in for a few snaps and then was pulled. So go ahead, Jared. Yeah, and I just, again, I, I, I think you kind of touched on it there. This really kind of makes sense for, for everyone. I just, I don't think Tyler Lytle's ever going to truly get his shot. Maybe senior year he'd get that one year to get looked at but I think for a guy that I, I think he probably wants to go get a chance to prove to somebody with the extra eligibility everyone's gaining this year, it's an opportune time for a guy like Tyler Idol to do that. I have no problem with that. People love to go on, on social me- media and and troll these guys for doing things like this. These are young kids that are trying to do the right thing for this future. And if he thinks he has a, a potential to ever play in the NFL, he's got to get on the field. Right. As a backup, he's never going to have that shot. And so he may go to a, a smaller school where he gets an opportunity to go be the guy guy go be the star and, and good for him for doing that and you know I hope that's not the case with the shot Clayton I really do I, I think he has an opportunity to be a nice one-two punch along with Broussard as we move forward in the future but we talked about it earlier Alex Fontenot potentially coming back next year we all hope he's coming back next year it's a very very crowded room and for a guy that was the top recruit from CU's recruiting class last year he, that may not quite work for him that may not, not be fitting in and he may be looking at a different opportunity for him in his future if that's the case you know good for him I just hope that's not the case I, I hope that we're reading a little bit too much into this maybe there's something going on personally family related all we know is he's not going to be playing in the Texas Bowl game all right, let's uh, get back to some of these injuries. That wraps it up for Colorado. We're, we're a little distracted today, aren't we? Yeah, we're getting a little... it's a weird... <laughs> I'm telling you, this, this, we're all off on our time it's frame It's the holiday now. season. Yeah. Just relax a little bit. It's good. All right, so uh, CU banged up. Some important positions for sure, but the Buffs injury report is nothing like Texas. My goodness, the Longhorns are injured. As a matter of fact, you look at the list of guys out for the season, out for the season, out for the season, whether it's personal or an injury... 13 players. Lots of opt-outs yeah, uh, for Texas over the last few weeks. A lot of guys that are preparing for the NFL draft. 13 in total, and a lot of those guys are starters. So Texas will not be playing with their full roster coming up on December 29th. All right, when CU has the ball, when the buffs are on offense, let's talk keys to the game, what the approach should be, and what this game could look like. Texas is a team who is used to playing Big 12 offenses. Yeah, <laughs> A little squeak toy in the back. I love having the dog in the studio. It's always nice. She's just like, whoa, this has been way too long. No one's looking at me. <laughs> Got to get um, some attention. So Texas Texas is a team who, again, is used to playing Big 12 offenses. So Texas has all these different stats 
that look really weird. When you look at the Longhorns on paper, seven of their top 10 tacklers are defensive backs. And the reason for that is simple. They've got a lot of defensive backs in the field. They're playing teams who spread the ball out so much. I know it's made uh, you know, a big deal of the Pac-12, the spread offense league. It's like, not if you compare it to the Big 12. It's not even close. So the Big 12 is generally going to spread you out greatly. Four receivers, five receivers sometimes on the field, and Texas is used to playing that. So this is a team that's comfortable in Texas with a lot of defensive backs on the field. So what does that tell me? That tells me CU needs to line up, run the ball, control the ball, and control the clock. That's got to be a big part to this offensive approach this game. Not get out, try and air the ball out with Texas, run the football, control the clock. I think it's easy to look at this, and when you look at the breakdown of the strengths and weaknesses of the Longhorns, and they are weak against the pass when you look at statistically, I think it's too easy to go, oh, that's where we'll attack them. No, no, no. The Buffs have got to get back to being who they are. I think that's part of what cost them uh, that game against Utah. I think they tried to outthink Utah when Utah was trying to shut down the run. They tried to attack them through the pass, and then they could never get that running game going. I think it's so important for the Buffs to get that running game established early. I agree with you. Controlling that clock. Do not let this become a shutout. Go look at Texas's schedule. Look at how many of those games, those back and forth, those two, three, four overtime games. That's what they're built to do. They're built to win games like that. They are not built to win defensive games. Slow this down and make it a game you can control with your offense, with your defense. Yeah, I think a lot of it is making Texas uncomfortable. You know, you want to put them in spots they didn't see a whole lot this year. That's why it's about lining up maybe... I know it'd be better with Brady Russell in there. Maybe a couple dual tight end sets. I mean, remember the first game of the season where CU comes out and the, the, their first couple of possessions, it was like power running. I would love to see something like that, mixing it up and, and catching Texas, a team, again, who's used to having defensive backs in the field off guard. The thing about this game is this is the kind of game where a big physical power rushing attack would be ideal. So I'm going to be interested to see how does CU handle the distribution of runs, you know? This has been a season where Jarek Broussard has carried the load. When he doesn't get the ball out of the backfield in terms of rushing, no one has. You That's know, true. And yeah. so, what do they do this game? Do they rely on Broussard to use that elite next-level athleticism and, 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 and count on what he's done all season long? Or do we see more Jaron Mangum, Joe Davis, those power-type backs? Because... The way that you beat Texas, I don't think, is these explosive runs that we're used to seeing from Broussard. I think it's three and a half yards at a time on the ground. See, I, I think uh, Broussard is physical enough and runs well enough between the tackles. I'm not concerned about that. I think having him on there that with that next level speed, with that extra gear, that he can get out and make those big plays, I do think that is the key. I think you, you beat him up, you beat him up, you beat him up, and then you break a big one. I think that's going to be key for the Buffs to do that. So I think really lean heavy on Jarek Broussard. Last game of the year. Don't hold anything back now, Tyler. Last game of the year, Brent. Can't hold anything back now. You know I had that queued up over here. I didn't, actually. <laughs> I would have I would have keyed you for it if I'd have known you had it. Oh, yeah, of course we do. <laughs> and it's, it's so true, though. I mean, this is where you want to see the buffs empty everything out. I want to see those unique plays. I want to see some trick plays. And just because we're talking about running the football, power rushing attack, that doesn't mean you avoid the pass altogether. All that means is don't get caught up in some vertical passing game. But I'd like to see them get creative with the running game. 
game. Use guys like Dimitri Stanley, like Jalen Jackson, sweeps, runs, even if it's more of an illusion than anything where you're getting that you know motion going all different directions and then you just pound the ball up the middle with Jarek Broussard. I think there's a lot to that, the creativity that that can bring. And it's guys that have struggled to get involved. Dimitri Stanley had a really, really great start to the season and over the last few weeks has really fallen off in his production. So I think involving him in different ways could be a good way to get him going in this game. The uh, Texas defensive line also without two starters, both of them injured. So I think you can attack that line, find some holes in the defensive line. But the question is, how much of a balance do you want to achieve? Uh, on the season, CU has been more of a run-first team. They have 230 rushes to 145 passes on the year. That equals 27.5 passing attempts per game. Where do you want to see Sam Neuer in terms of pass attempts? Again, 27 and a half so far this season. More than that? Fewer than that? I think the ideal scenario for the bus is fewer than that. I think that tells me if he's throwing under 25, I'll throw the number out there, 25, under 25 passes, that tells me that this running game is working I, I completely agree. Yeah, if, if he's out there having to sling the ball around 30, 40 times, that tells you that this offense is not making the plays. It's it's getting behind the sticks. He's having to make a lot of big plays. And, and you know, I think Sam Neuer has a lot of talent. He's a great quarterback. He is not a guy that you drop back and throw the ball 40 times. That no, exactly. is not his skill set. But that's my point. That's why I want to see him bring Texas in, lure him in, lure him in, whether what you know, whatever kind of rushing attack you decide. And you mentioned getting creative with the rushes. Fine, do that, but bring this defense in, bring him in, and then attack it when they're at their most vulnerable. You can't be afraid to throw this game. He, he hit a couple deep balls against Utah, and I think that's something that they could attack more. I think we saw that with Brandon Rice, his ability to get deep. I mean, this whole wide receiver core has oh, we're a talented. lot of speed. It's they got can no- get deep on these guys. Look, it's got nothing to do with the, with the talent. I think CU could be one of the more talented receiving cores and, and, and specialty players in the Pac-12. So that's not my point. My point is you've got to beat Texas a certain way. You can't be so hyper-focused on only what you do. Look at where Texas struggles, and that's where I want to attack them. I guess the passing game comes down to don't force it. Take it when it's there. Good way to put it. Don't force it downfield. You will get your chances to throw this game. Don't force it with Sam Neuer. So the keys on uh, when the buffs are on offense, the keys are pound the rock, eat up clock, attack that defensive line, and take those chances in the air when the time is right. All right, let's get to defense. When CU is on defense and uh, Texas is on the field, their offense, what should we do? What should we look for? Uh, Texas, in every game this season, they've won the passing battle. I thought that was very unique. Sam Ellinger has had more passing yards than every single opposing quarterback that he's played this year. So again, this leads to my... How do you make Texas uncomfortable? They're going to want to come out and throw. Now, they're going to want to come out and use Sam Ellinger. He's a senior. He knows what he's looking for. So, Buffs, again, don't try and get into a shootout. Well, how does that relate to the Buffs on defense? How can CU help themselves on defense? I think CU can pressure Sam Ellinger, use injuries to this offensive line, create uncertainty in the backfield, and help themselves be rested. Because when it comes to, to, to a defense being rested, there's two parts of the equation. One, the offense has to stay on the field, right? We can't have Sam Neuer come in, get three and out, go off the field. We understand the offensive side, but the defensive part of the equation is you can't allow 12, 13, 14 play drives. Get on the field, force yourself some three and outs, and get off the field. So this defense, I really think fatigue 
and time on the field is going to have a major impact in this game. I think you got to be careful with that, though, Tyler, because I, in my mind, Sam Ellinger is at his best when he's outside of the pocket making plays with his feet, whether that's opening up plays in the passing game by getting out of the pocket or making plays running, as we talked about. He leads this team in rushing attempts. A lot of those are not designed quarterback runs. They're plays where he gets out in space and makes big plays. So I, I want to be very careful because, to me, this team goes as Sam Ellinger goes. If you let him make a lot of plays with his feet, get out on the edge, and open things up, you got to be really careful with that. So I, I'm going to be actually a little careful attacking too much. I think I want to see this you know, front four contain him, well, keep here's him the in the pocket. I think they can. I think if we're bringing pressure, it needs to come from defensive back safeties in the outside because I think this front four can handle business. There are three offensive linemen starters who are going to be out for Texas this game. One of them being a, a starting left tackle in Sam Cosme that's going to be a, a first-round draft pick NFL more like draft than pick. likely. So, look, I think CU can find their spots. Attack on defense, use some stuns, confuse those guys, and bring pressure Confusion, on the outside. Confusion, I think, is a good key there. And I think you have the talent on the defensive line. You guys have the the athleticism for to move guys around to do different things. But I, I really look at two guys on the Buffs roster that I think is going to be so important to make big plays in this game, and that's Akil Jones having to step up in the absence of Nate Landman because I think they're really going to rely on him to be making those sideline-to-sideline -side tackles. Keep Sam Ellinger from getting out on the edge and making plays with his feet, but also Carson Wells. I think setting that edge, getting after the quarterback, making plays there, I think Carson Wells really, really needs to step up probably as much, if not more, than anyone on this defense. Do you think that it's important for CU to come out this game and look more like a Big 12 defense, spread things out more, have more defensive backs on the field? I think that's what they're going to need. I think that you can't I don't come think out you have a choice. So, well, you maybe your, your hand is forced because of the injuries at linebacker, but even if... The Buffs were perfectly healthy at linebacker. I think you want to run more of like a, 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 a you know, four down lineman or even like a three, three, five. Yeah. Right? Where you got three down linemen, three linebackers, and, and, and five safeties. Maybe like a four, two, five, right? Four down linemen, two linebackers, and five defensive backs. But you're going to have to put more speed on the field if you're going to contain Texas. I think that that's a given this game. Don't you? Absolutely. And I think you're going to see a lot of those safeties down in the box, ready to make plays in the running game, but also then able to then utilize their speed and get back into coverage. And I trust CU. They put enough people on the field this year with with enough experience. Obviously, the starters, Christian Gonzalez, Makai Blackman on the outside. You've got Mark Perry safety, uh, Darian Rakestraud safety. But Isaiah Lewis has gotten a ton of snaps this year. KJ Trujillo has been in for some very key plays. You know, they don't just bring him in for first down or to give other guys rest. KJ Trujillo's a baller. So I feel confident with uh, this deep, Def you know, defensive backs is deep secondary we have to rotate those guys in, keep them on the field, and run those sets. I remember back to our first show, and that was one of our biggest concerns is these Wasn't TVs, it? yeah. And but it's something they've really proven through this year, the depth that they have. Guys that hadn't gotten a lot of time. I think Isaiah Lewis is one we've really talked about throughout this year. I don't expect him to come off the field much this week. I absolutely think he's going to be that third safety on the field most of this game because they're going to be in a lot of spread sets, four and five wide receivers, that you're going to need those DBs on the field to cover those guys yeah I, I i think so too and again i feel so well with that if if that ends up being how this thing goes then so be it you know our defensive line more than more than talented if it has to be akeel jones and carson wells you're mixing in some john van deest fine i'm okay with all of that you just have to be flexible see what texas is going to do obviously the coaching staff is going to do exactly what jared and i are doing sitting down going through what texas has done what they 
like to do, what they don't like to do. And let's face it, there's an inherent advantage for the Buffs because CU's only played five games. Texas has played nine. When you've played almost twice the amount of games as your opponent, there's a certain threshold where rust doesn't matter. It's like, oh, Colorado's rusty. They only played five games. No. In a regular season, game number six is where you're hitting your stride. You know, So if anything, it helps you that they have all this tape to look at Texas in various situations when really, if you're a part of the Longhorns coaching staff, and you want to see how CU plays from behind? Not a whole lot of tape to go look at. Not a That's whole lot a of situations point, to go look at. Because the Buffs at. have really been leading most of the most of the season, and and I think it, it's um, you know something that we saw with Utah that I think to an extent there has been some scouting finally out there on what the Buffs are and what they want to do, and I think it's important, like we talked about earlier, be creative in in both sides of the ball. Be creative and and show something different. You've now had two weeks to prepare for this game, where Texas has not. Texas played last week, so. I think it gives the Buffs an advantage there as well that they're really, really going to be able to be ready to go. They're they're fairly healthy, and I think you need to be, as a defense, I think you need to be flexible, like Tyler said, be willing to change things up a little bit so that Texas is getting something that they're not expecting to see out there. My keys to the defense, pressure and confuse the quarterback. Pressure and confuse the line. Don't get sucked into play action or the read option. That's something we didn't spend a whole lot of time on. Uh, Texas loves the read option, loves the play action. They're going to be in the in the shotgun for most of their plays, and you're going to see a lot of Sam Ellinger giving it to the running back and pulling it last second and either throwing it in an RPO, which is a run-pass option, carrying it himself in a designed run, or just handing it off. So... I hope CU's been, I'm sure they have, been practicing that all week, not getting burned with the play action or the read option. That's going to be key. And that's what scares me so much about Sam Ellinger, is that is where he's at his best, and that is really what they lean on. And and I'll add a, a key to that in my mind that I think containing Sam Ellinger. I think if he goes over 100 yards rushing, that's not a good thing for you. I think that tells me that he's getting out there, he's breaking things. I think you're seeing a lot of big runs in that situation. Hey, he's going to get his yards. He's going to get out there and do that. He's going to get his passing yards too. I think it's containing him, not letting him go have an all-world day. Exactly. It's not it's not it's about not letting those runs, those runs that Sam Ellinger yep. breaks off bring your defense in. Yep. You know, keep, you can't keep them uh, to 5-yard runs. Don't let them be that 15, 20, 30-yard big play that 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 switches field position and and it really puts you on your heels as a defense. Yeah, that, that's going to be so crucial. I mean, that's what they love to do. And like you said, that's where he's at his best, he being Sam Ellinger. But I think the Buffs have what it takes. You know, I think that they can show up, play really solid, aggressive on defense, and beat Texas at what Texas likes to do. But Colorado can do their own thing on offense, control the clock, control time possession. And again, my offensive keys, pound the rock, eat up clock, uh, attack that defensive line, and take chances in the air when the time is right on defense. Pressure, confuse the quarterback. Pressure, confuse the line. Don't get sucked into play action or the read option. And, you know, stand your ground. Be ready for those big plays downfield because they're coming. You know, Texas is going to want to rip those off. They are coming. And we have a couple key numbers, too. Jared mentioned it would be ideal Sam Ellinger under 100 yards. That would mean good thing for CU. And also, when CU has the ball, fewer than 25 passing attempts should be something to look at for Sam Neuer. All right, Jared, let's get to our predictions. I will go first. I unfortunately see some points being scored here. I don't think this is going to be a big defensive uh, game. I think both offenses are probably able to move the ball, and I will take the CU buffs to upset the Texas Longhorns 
33-27. The last time CU played in this bowl was 2016. That's actually the last time they played in a bowl game in general. Didn't turn out well for CU. I'm hoping things change this week. This and let's year. touch on that real quick before I get to my prediction. 2016 Alamo Bowl. You and I were both there. In fact, I think we were sitting next to each other, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. And uh, it wasn't good. It was ugly. Guess who uh, Who was a part of that team? All of your seniors. Yeah, you got Sam Neuer. You got Akil Jones. You got a few of these guys that I think they want some you know, I know it wasn't Texas that they paid, but I think this is like a payback. This is a revenge. This is to prove what how much better they are as a team now than where they were at that point. So I really think there's an extra layer of motivation for those guys there. And I really think these buffs are hungry. They want to prove to the nation that they belong in this category with Texas. I think you really hit on a lot of points there. I think you're going to see some scoring. I think buffs need to limit it, need to not let this become a shootout. If this gets into the 40 points range, I think the Buffs are in trouble. I think they need to limit and keep them as low as they can, control this game. I like this as a very close one with the Buffs just edging out. I got to go on Buffs 31, Longhorns 30. So do you just wait for me to get my score and then copy it and then take three points away no, every week? I think week? you're looking at my notes every week. Because <laughs> it seems like every single week your your score is like just a couple points less than mine every time. Well, and then I did have the one week where I went way <laughs> off from you and I was just way low on my total scoring. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing. I mean, you are a professional better after all, Tyler. I think if I'm following your scores, I'm probably doing pretty good. We just need to have a big game from the buffs. That's all I want to see. I want to see you come out, look good. Who cares what the score is? Show me some of those trick plays. Last game of the year. Brent can't hold anything back now. I mean, that's how they have what, to live. What if we saw Nate Landman running out at halftime, Bobby <laughs> Boucher style? How sweet would that be? <laughs> uh, good job today, Remember Jared. that time when, yeah. when Nate Landman showed up at the Alamo Bowl <laughs> and the Buffs won the game? <laughs> All right, we'll talk to you guys next Wednesday. We'll be recording our show the Wednesday after CU plays. So until then, let's go Buffs. Beat the Longhorns. We'll talk to you guys next week on the Buffs Nation podcast.